Welcome to the Sales Career Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Hopp. Whether you're an executive, sales leader, or just getting your career in sales started, I'm here to help you read between the lines and hear the real stories that you can't get from a resume or from a LinkedIn profile, all designed to help you shape your own sales career. Let's dive right into today's episode and see what we can learn. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Sales Career Podcast. I'm super excited to talk to this week's guest. Uh, by the way, I'm your host, Kevin Hopp. This week's guest is a former art gallery director, uh, former theater director as well, right? If I'm getting this correct. That's right. came, came from the creative <laughs> world, ended up in the sales world, is now the co-founder of the Practice Lab. Everybody, please welcome the great and powerful Jordana Zeldin. Zeldin? Zeldin. 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 That's good. I'll, t- I'll take whatever. Yeah. Zeldin makes me sound like a, a magician, I think. I like that. The, the, the magnificent Zeldin. Maybe. That well, either, either way, Jordana, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, we got connected. Uh, I, I've been following you on LinkedIn for a long time, seeing the content you put out and, and kind of following your journey a little bit. But I think... Uh, you're the first person that comes from an art or a theater or, you know, the arts background that I've had on the podcast. It's really common for people to say, oh, I was in, you know, food service or I was in something where I was dealing with people and I figured out a way to, 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 to turn this into a sales career. But it's a little bit more, less common, right, to go from an arts background and then turn that into a sales career. So I'm really interested to hear about that and to hear about what you have going with the practice lab. Why don't we start out? I do have uh, a number of questions that I normally run through here, and we'll we'll, we'll mold with them. They're Alrighty. guidelines; they're not, you know, hard hard lines that we have to follow. But the first one would be a great place to start. Jordana, introduce yourself and, and tell the audience, you know, if they've never heard of you before, what's your two minute career story? Oh my God! So, um, so I will share that I never in a million years imagined that I would be in sales. <laughs> I did intend to be a great theater director or uh, eventually like an influential gallerist. I really spent the first, I don't know, almost decade of my career immersed in the arts. And I tripped and fell into sales when an art technology company was making its first sales hires. And they needed people who were familiar with and felt fluent in the language of talking about art and talking with galleries. So I joined the team having literally no idea that I would choose sales as my thing all these years later. Yeah. Wow. So so it really was like happenstance that it was the the, the merging of the two things where, where it was like the, the arts background teed you up perfectly for this job as an artistic seller. Like it was a company that dealt with that. Yeah, it was a company that sold sold to gallerists. And admittedly, like at the time, I just wanted to come in from the cold. Like the art world is very glitzy and glamorous, but being an independent art gallerist or art advisor, like it is very hard to sell art by up and coming emerging artists. And I was existing entirely on the commission from art sales and this very buzzy startup with a very big mission and a lot of venture capital and uh ping pong tables in the office was hiring and I just wanted 
um, to feel like I could exist in the art world with some financial stability. And that was really the impetus for moving from, you know, the art world into to selling into the art world. I love that. I love that. So with uh, the, the second question that, I, that I'm really curious is, you know, in the sales roles that you've had and, and your experience, maybe not even in sales, I'm just curious, what, what's been the most difficult role that you've had and, and what made it difficult? So I think the most difficult role that I ever had was that first sales job for the first five, six months of it. Um, you know, I when I joined the team, you know, because we were in startup mode, our head of sales had formerly been an intern at the company and just kind of grown into the role. But we were admittedly kind of the blind leading the blind and there was no process. We were you know, kind of like throwing darts blindly at the wall and hoping it stuck. We never had a sense when we got off of a conversation with a prospect about like what it is we did that made for success or failure. And I just remember feeling so frustrated. And at the time, I also felt like the like all of the baggage that the sales profession has, like that that sense of it being deceptive and manipulative. And I just was having trouble squaring like who I was, what I believed in, my values with what I thought was required in order to sell effectively, which is all that yucky stuff that, of course, we all now know doesn't doesn't work anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I felt a bit of an existential crisis of my own being like, what am I doing as like a salesperson? And I didn't have the satisfaction of even understanding what doing it well looked like. So it was a real struggle. And I'll tell you, Kevin, like if you had asked me at that time, I would have given myself maybe three more months in the profession. What what turned the what 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 was your moment there where you said you know what this is for me and I'm gonna excel at it because I mean you were at this company for for a while right so you you obviously yeah. had a moment like a catalyzing moment where you're like look I can do this I'm gonna do it really well so I will say that it was entirely I mean this person has had a a bigger impact on my life than almost anybody but it was entirely the head of sales that they brought in who was really seasoned but also really helped me to understand how vital it is that I brought exactly who I am, who I was into my selling conversations that like seller Jordana and Jordana Jordana were not two separate people. And once, and he also helped to put some processes in place and gave us, you know, a structure for our calls and, and introduce role play and practice and, and really change the culture of the team. But once I felt like what I had to offer, imperfect as I am, creative, quirky as I am, could actually serve me in my selling, that I could show up as myself and reap the benefits for it. Um, I started to feel really alive in my work and I started to do really well and be, you know, became the top performer on the team for years running in part because I felt just so exhilarated um, connecting authentically with people. You know, I, I hope everyone listening really takes that to heart that if you're not bringing yourself into what you're doing in sales, it's going to lead to a lot more of these existential crises. It's going to, it's going to lead to the uncomfortable, like, I don't think that this is right for me. And I've, I've seen this happen many times and it's, it's like led me to develop part of like my process when I teach SDRs and, and how to cold call and how to go outbound is you, you should really be two things. If you're going to be good at outbound specifically, which is interested in the people you're mm. talking to, so interested in them like authentically, uh, as in not just interested in getting a meeting to sell you some stuff. Like, oh, I can hear you're in the car. Uh, where are you headed? Something like that, right? Oh, I'm headed to my, my son's t-ball game. 
and I actually heard this conversation yesterday with one of the, the, the teams that I coach. And yeah. the rep did a great job of just digging down and becoming interested in this guy's life. And people like, and you ask some questions and you're authentically interested. But then in the other side of that coin that I always try to teach SDRs is like, be interested in them, but be an interesting person. Mm. And that means not keeping it all buttoned up and square and, you know, having that like sir, ma'am culture vibe to yourself. It means being yourself. It means talking about what you like. It means bringing exactly like the lesson that you just shared to the table. And it changes the way you have those conversations, right? So true. And like being sassy and being, you know, being fun and giving the human beings that you're interacting with as your prospects, like a fun experience talking to you, you know? And because I think we, the art world itself is really buttoned up, like really tight, really elite. And we were a bunch of young and experienced sellers and we thought that we had to be that way in order to do business in the art world. And this guy, this head of sales, who is really like this amazing young sales bro who knew nothing about art, came in. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. yeah. And he was like, fuck those guys. Like, like none of that shit matters, you know? Yeah. And once we dropped that formality, like the job became fun. Gallerists had more fun interacting with us. We did better. We felt happier. I felt happier in my life. And that was really where the seeds, I think, were planted that, hey, this is, I, I want to stick around here. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, next question I have for you. So what's a, what's a story from your career that someone really couldn't get just by looking at your LinkedIn or, or looking at a resume? Like, what's, what's uh, is there anything interesting that comes to mind that, that would be valuable to share? Yeah, I mean, I, it's it, it's funny. I, God, there's so much. I mean, it, it's funny. Actually, the other day, Kevin, I was thinking, and maybe we can start this together, but I was thinking, like, how great would it be to have a series of, of LinkedIn posts where it's literally just a list of every job you ever had? Hashtag every job I've ever had. And I was thinking back. I was like, oh, my God, like, bus girl, bagel server, like, retail person, barista, artist model. Like, just I've done so many things that at the time – just felt random but retroactively they kind of make a bit of sense you know I I'd say that for me um you know it's easy to look at a LinkedIn profile and be like oh wow seller to sales coach that makes sense but what a lot of people don't know and I'm totally unashamed to share is that when I left my six-figure sales job I did so to become a $20 an hour sales coach at a company that I was really intrigued by it was a it was I (laughs) I I had started coaching as a seller and fell in love with it. And it reminded me a lot of when I was working with actors, when I was directing theater, you know, really helping reps and my my peers and new hires to find their voice in their selling, right? To grow their confidence, to grow their skills. And I would feel as excited, if not more, by their sales wins than I would my own. And I was like, all right, this coaching thing is for me, but how do I actually make the leap to officially, you know, becoming a full-time sales coach. And I wasn't sure. And I found this company called Sales Gym that took a kind of athlete-inspired approach to training up sellers. It was really practice-based. They worked with companies in the Fortune 500. The company seemed like it was meeting a need that I felt existed in the space. Yet, the role in the job description said $20 an hour. And I remember thinking like, this doesn't make sense. Like, how is this possible? Yeah. And what was crazy is that the application 
process for this company was one of the most intense that I'd ever experienced. Like, so you send in your cover letter and resume. If they liked that, you were next instructed to call up a random number and leave a voicemail message letting them know why you felt you were right for the job. If they liked your voicemail message, which was such a great like vetting, like our, like that, put that step in an application process and you weed out anyone who isn't prepared to think out of the box and get uncomfortable. Oh yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, it was great. Once I had to do that, the next step before I even spoke to anybody was to learn a skill that they taught their uh, clients and to do a mock coaching session. It was like a 15 or 20 minute mock coaching session with someone on their team. And only then, if they liked the way that I ran the session, did I get to speak to somebody. And this is all for a $20 an hour job, but I just felt, Kevin, I remember saying to my husband, I'm like, I think this is a lump of coal with a diamond inside. I've got to do this. So we figured it out financially. And that was really the pivot point that allowed me to transition from selling to to sales coaching and where I learned almost everything that, that I now know. There's a, there's a hidden theme in there, which is like one of the things that I've had a lot of people ask me about is risk. Do I yeah. join this startup? It's so early stage. Oh, well, I'm a senior, I'm a senior SDR right now and you know, I'm, I'm hitting my target. So I'm going to hit an 80, 90 K and this next sales job is only a 10 K bump. It seems risky that I'm going to jump over to this other company. I, I think the the thing that I, I hope people take away from that story is it it's not risky if you're following like your heart and you're following your purpose. Like you you were going to something that you knew you wanted to excel at and that you were naturally sort of drawn to, right? Because you were a seller that started coaching while you were selling, and then you're like, yeah. dude, I love this coaching thing probably more than you like the selling thing, right? Yeah. And then you you follow that, which is not dissimilar, by the way, to, to kind of my story, where I, I have been a sales guy, had carried a bag, had a quota at a bunch of different companies, and I became obsessed with a piece of the process. I was like, everywhere I go, I don't have a pipeline. I say, hey, Kevin, congrats, you got the job. Now go get some companies. I'm like, well, dude, like we're, we've raised all this money. We've got this cool yeah. brand. We've got this website. Are you telling me people don't want to talk to me? Like, who, like you're telling me I have to go find people to talk to? And I just got obsessed with that problem, kind of the same way that you said, like, hey, sales coaching is what I want to do. And you you took that risk. But it's not really that risky if you know you're following, like, your true intention, right? Like, it was a very intentional move from what I gather. Yeah. I mean, it was very intentional. It required a little, a little bit of financial juggling. And look, I recognize yeah. that not everybody is able to, to make a, a move like that and make that kind of sacrifice based on expenses, how many kids they have, et cetera. But at that time in my life, I was able to do it. And it paid off. You know, what I noticed once I actually met the human beings behind the company, I discovered the most incredible mentor there in one of the founders of the company. And I, I, I still work with him every other week, you know. Um, and I just felt that not only was the company very much in line with the kind of coaching I was interested in, but I just saw such a development opportunity to work under that human. So in some ways, I was almost thinking about it like a, pay, a paid internship. Wow. That's, that's something that uh, I, I think a lot of people aspire for in their next role is if only I could find that mentor um, that'll help you. And it sounds like that, that worked out well and you, it was a long mentoring relationship. You, you work with them today, right? I work with it. Yes. And that was the thing. I mean, mentors have helped me all along the way, you know, from, from Greg at my first sales company, the sales leader who really helped me to connect the dots between who I am and, and what I did at the time. And then Ross at Sales Gym and... And, you know, even now that I'm, you know, 
on my own and have been for the last couple of years, I mean, nothing great was ever built alone. That's a that's a powerful statement. Nothing great was ever built alone. Comes back to something. I, I think so. Yeah. We, we were we were talking about this before we turned on the podcast, and we were also talking about how we shouldn't have meaningful conversations before we turn on the podcast. <laughs> we, we were talking about parenthood, right? I mean, you're a mom, and right. I'm a dad, and we were talking about how it takes a village, and uh, it that that's also a concept that like I struggle with in my career. Is you know I, I've I've quit. I've quit jobs with terrible bosses and I've gotten fired from jobs where I love my boss and I, I loved my team and I loved what was going on, but that doesn't, that didn't, that never helped me. That never saved me. There was always a decision made one level higher that we're cutting half the staff or we're, you know, Kevin's rowing the oar in the opposite direction. And it wasn't a chance to get better at it. It was like, even though I love my boss, he was the one who sat me down and said like, you're done. And I'm like, all right, well, mm. Shoot. Mm. So I'm I'm happy. Like <laughs> let's make it a positive spin on it. Like I'm happy yeah. that you had that, and I I hope everyone appreciates that. If you can find that, it can be an absolute game changer in your career. It is a game changer. It. And here's the thing, everyone. Like at the t- in the t- upper echelons of the profession, I think this is like a, a a best kept secret. Like everybody is helping each other. Like I identified people like Todd Capone or Jason Bay or Jeff Bajoric or Josh. Bro- these are people that I wanted to get to know because I was really inspired by them. And now all of those people, if I'm like having an issue, even like pricing, Jeff, how do I price this deal? Like I can text him and though we're technically competitors or whatever as sales trainers in the space, like we're, we're here to help each other. There's enough to go around. And I think that there's often the illusion that it's like dog eat dog, like every man for himself, but that has just not been my experience of this profession, especially the sales community on LinkedIn, which has got to be, Kevin, you've got to agree, like one of the most generous and awesome <laughs> groups it of is. people on the planet. Yeah. 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 Abundance mindset. Abundance mindset is kind of what I, I had someone introduce that concept to me earlier this year, actually, because I approached him for advice on my consulting practice. And he's like, yeah, man, I'll totally help you out. And he's like, I'll give yeah. you keys. And I paid him as a coach, as a consulting coach, to help me like build like the foundational blocks of like how do I structure agreements and other things that I, I had a rough idea on, but he gave me a help. And I'm like, wow, you're, you're giving me a lot here. He's like, dude, abundance mindset. If I, there if I help you out, there's plenty of business for me. I've got more business than I can handle. And I know that if I'm if I'm good to other people, it'll come back to me. And I, I think about that now all the time. It's like as, a, as, a, as an employee, I would think – it's competitive. If you get the promotion, I probably can't. If you get that good job, I probably can't. And I don't think that way anymore. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Right? True story. A friend of mine in the space um, was selected for uh, a sales consulting gig over Iowa, over over me. And he and I were both talking about it. He got the gig and he called me up. He was like, Jordana, I, I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry this happened. I wish it was you. It's me, but I don't have a contract. I was like, dude, I'll send you mine tomorrow. And I wow. sent him the contract that I like, there's enough to go around people. I'm telling you, it's a really, it's a really important shift. And I think that once you are comfortable enough being vulnerable to ask for help and being willing enough to support people in need of help, like all boats rise. There you go. Yep. I love that. So yep. if you wouldn't mind, can you tell the story of how did you co-found the practice lab and what do you guys do there? I'm really curious. Yeah. So, okay. So the, the, there's the, the connection there. So as I mentioned, I, at, at sales gym, I was a kind of athlete inspired sales coach. We broke down 
um, you know, sales, the sales conversation into bite-sized behaviors and my coaching sessions with sellers, you know, at these fortune 500 companies, they weren't talking about selling. They were getting our reps in and practicing and, and role-playing and helping them to, to build awareness and, um, become more skillful in service of being more effective when, you know, came game time when the stakes were high on their, on their calls with prospects. So a colleague of mine, um, that I met through LinkedIn, Jonathan Mahan, uh, who works over at Security Scorecard, he just got um, got hired, I guess it was maybe about a, a year or so ago at Scorecard, and he was starting to notice um, a, a really big distinction between how the sellers were being trained at the company and what they were actually doing on their calls with prospects. Like the behaviors that they were all learning weren't showing up. And at the same time, he was learning, uh, reading a, a book called Peak about peak performance and other disciplines and how musicians and athletes and other performers bridge that gap between what they know, what they've learned, and then what they can do. And he put the pieces together that that what was needed was practice. And he started to assemble some some groups at Security Scorecard to practice their sales behaviors. We had known each other. He thought about the idea of possibly expanding it outside of the company. We teamed up and in our many conversations at this time last year, noticed the massive gap that exists in the sales training industry between knowing and doing. There is so much information about there. So much good information out there, books, podcasts, LinkedIn posts, right? But where is the place for sellers to safely get in their reps and at-bats so they can take the thing they know, turn it into something that they feel comfortable and confident doing so that when they're on the phone with their prospects, they can expertly employ and use uh, their new skills, and there's not really that place. You know, I am a sales trainer. People bring me in, I do a workshop, and then... The expectation is that sellers are just going to magically be able to do the yeah. thing they learned in my sessions. Yeah. And that is not how skill development works. So he and I teamed up to create the, this place, a place that breaks down the sales cycle, the entire you know consultative sales conversation into these micro behaviors where sellers can build awareness of specific things they can do at every point in the sales conversation. And then we come together once a week for facilitated peer-to-peer practice. So they can get in there at bats, get out the kinks, try it on for size, develop their confidence, and then apply it immediately on their next calls after lab. Wow, yeah, I, I mean, before we, we really connected, I didn't even know that a thing like that existed, you know? It didn't, like, until now. It didn't, <laughs> it <does> yeah. now. <laughs> Incredible. That, yeah, it's been interesting. Incredible. You know, as as we've you know made the rounds on podcasts and and you know talked with colleagues in the space, like it's like light bulbs are going off for people. They're like, oh yeah, why is it that we are one of the only performance based disciplines that expects that people will just magically transform knowing and into doing? And I'm noticing a lot of, of friends and and trainers starting to introduce more practice into. Uh, their training because it's required if if we're wanting you know behavioral change. Yep, yep. It, it's really interesting. So I I used to work for a, a, a Fortune 500 telecom company, and okay. they put me they they sent us all the whole SoCal region. There was like six reps. They put us up in a hotel in Newport Beach for four days, and with like stipends and all that stuff to do training sales training. All right. 
and it was uh, customer-centric selling, which is cool. Like, I, I dug it. It's a little specific. They hand you, like, a workbook that's, like, you know, like, that thick. I'm like, yeah, like, when is anyone ever going to, like, say, hold yeah. on, before we start this, I need to open my workbook and figure out exactly that. But I've lived this exact thing where I left that week and the biggest thing I had, the biggest takeaway was a hangover. Like, I, right. like we just partied in Newport Beach and then everybody would go to the training. But my biggest problem was I was only getting one demo every other two weeks or one selling conversation every two weeks. So I didn't have any funnel. There was no inbound leads and I was we didn't have an auto dialer. We didn't have Salesforce didn't work right. And I was struggling, grasping at straws to find selling conversations to even practice what I learned. Yeah, I wasn't getting it. And then, so when you only have one or two selling conversations a month, wow, that's like, how are you ever supposed to put into practice what you learned? Right? That's right. So I think you're, 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 uh, you're, you're filling a hole in the market. That's exciting. I think so. I th- yeah. I think so. It feels, and it's funny. Like this feels like a risk too. It's like I'm I'm building two businesses at at the very same time, and our Q3 cohort. It's the f- the first time that uh, sellers are paying to participate. It's the first time that we're partnering with with sales teams, and and that members of sales teams are raising their hand, and their teams are paying for them to be in the lab. So you know, just in terms of thinking about like the career trajectory, you know, the the topic of this podcast. Like this is a this is very new terrain. And it's new terrain for sales leaders and enablement folks who are not used to buying a practice-based uh, training program. So it's fun to really figure out like how to clearly articulate the problem, both to sellers and sales enablement people, for them to realize that, yeah, they need more practice, be it through the practice lab or even independently on their own teams. Right. And the, the other element that I'm sure you talk about in your sales cycle is how expensive, quote unquote, it is to practice on real prospects, particularly if you're dealing with like big accounts and it's enterprise sales and stuff. Like if you mess this up and you don't follow up effectively, you don't run the conversation right, you don't do good discovery, you don't do, the cost is 100x what you're charging them. So it is something very, very necessary to practice before you. I think too, you know, like the sales training industry is something like $22 billion a year. And by most accounts, like sales leaders that I talk to, training they've invested, they haven't experienced the kind of behavioral change that they were hoping to. And it's like, of course, of course they haven't, because it's really scary to try something new for the very first time on your prospects. Because the stakes are so high. And either you try and fail and you have your tail between your legs, or your prospect has a lousy experience being sold to by someone who just hasn't worked out their muscles, right? So this is really about creating an intermediate step that recognizes that there is a process involved in behavioral change. And it's not rocket science because it's, you know, practice is something that every other discipline, it's, (laughs) it would be unthinkable to learn an instrument, right? Or to learn to play basketball in absence of practice. So this is really just about taking the well-trodden path uh, that served every other discipline and bringing it into to our industry. Uh, that's fantastic. And I, I can't wait to follow the journey. Like this is, this is really, really ah, uh, thanks, a necessary Kevin. thing. So let's yeah. let's wrap it up with the, uh, the last question that I really love to ask people, which is imagine you can go back to you know, Jordana on the first day of your sales career 
you know, looking back at it from what, what you've learned and where you've come to now and what you're doing today, what, what would that one piece of advice be that you would give yourself on the first day of your sales career? Yeah, I think when I entered into sales, I just thought of it as a very transactional discipline. And the deeper that I've gotten into it, the more I've come to see it as being so much more about the thing you were selling or like the exchange of cash for goods, right? Like sales for me, and this is why I'm here and it's why I'm staying around and why I find it um, so generative is it's really like a playground for exploring and testing and experimenting with all of like the best and most interesting stuff in human relationships. Empathy, curiosity, like trust building, trust erosion, persuasion, uh, helping to shift perspectives. And that to me is, is endlessly fascinating. And I think when younger sellers are able to see it from that bigger picture, it's just so much richer and feels so much more meaningful than, uh, you know, what I thought it was early on, which was the exchange of cash for goods. The exchange of cash for goods. Wow, that, that's that's super impactful. And, and it's interesting because in my own career, I had the exact same kind of feeling. And I talked yeah. to, uh, I, I, had, uh, I had a guy on my podcast and I, and I mentioned how when I first got into sales, I thought everything was so expensive because I had a weird relationship with money. And I thought that, well, this costs $10,000 a year. So they're going to they're going to be like, oh, my God, you're asking me to spend what? And I just had this whole feeling for like what it would be like. Yeah. But it took a lot of at-bats, a lot of conversations with people and prospects that were open and were like talking about it. And then I started to realize in B2B sales, it's not their money. <laughs> not their money. Right. So they don't right. treat it like they're spending. Like for, for you and me to spend $10,000, we don't just do that willy-nilly. Like I, I don't. I, I'm sure you don't. Like. Right. But in companies, they will. They will make a decision in two weeks or three weeks on a $10,000 purchase. Or more. Yeah. Like, cool. And and they do so because of all the things you mentioned, having these connections and building trust. And there's a lot more to it. So that's a a fantastic takeaway. So I, I I did fib. I did lie. We have... A rapid fire question round of questions that you've never heard before. That's the way okay. we end the podcast. So we had the last okay. question, but the rapid fire round will answer as fast as we can here. Um, they're not questions necessarily about your career, but broader topics. Are you ready okay. to roll? I'm ready. I love it. First question <laughs> for you. First question for you. Do you believe that salespeople should be money motivated? Oh, shoot. It needs to be rapid. Do I believe that salespeople should be money motivated? You can answer um, in 30 seconds. I think it's okay to be money motivated. It's not It's not my motivation. If that's yours, God bless. Okay, okay. I, I can appreciate that. Uh, next question. Do you think cold calling is dead? No. No. Just no. No. That's right. And long live cold calling. It will never die. Um, next question. What is more important if you had to choose one at the highest level for an enterprise going to market? What's more important sales or marketing? Oh my goodness. Oh, that's so hard. That is really good. Uh, sales or marketing, sales or marketing, sales, sales, sales. There we yeah. go. Sales. Yeah. Got to bring Do you want me to sales. elaborate or just 
Yeah, sales. go ahead. Go ahead. Why sales? I just think sales is about the interpersonal connection. And if you're not, like you can have the greatest fucking marketing in the world, but if you, in your conversation with your prospect, aren't able to bring them around, or if you have no marketing, right? let's say you have no marketing, but you're able to really identify the problems that your product solves, really able to, to kind of empathize with their world and communicate to them how you can make their lives better, Fuck marketing, right? You've got, you've got your salesperson. Yeah. There you go. I, I love that. Um, last question for you, for real. So what would you do, uh, and this one is personal, what would you do if you didn't have to work? Imagine you had all the money you ever wanted and uh, you didn't have to work anymore. What would you do with your time? I literally think I would build the practice lab. Like I'm having so much fun figuring this out and it might it might <laughs> crash and burn. I don't know, but my, my co-founder and I, really feel like we're onto something and I want to have this experience of being the first to bring something to market that feels like it can really make a difference for people. So I would, I would do that. Yeah. If I won the lottery tonight, I would sit, you know, come back to my desk tomorrow and try to keep building it. I really would. Man, that's, that's career nirvana. And it's interesting that I've interviewed probably, you know, three or four people that said that and it's, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I don't know if I would be, what would you do? What would I do? Oh, if I didn't have to work, I would get part-time jobs. Like in my retirement, I want to build in the fact that I'll make like 36K a year from part-time jobs. I'd work at a brewery and then I'd work okay. at a golf course. So that, that during the day, funny. I'm busy. And the perks of both of those jobs are things that I absolutely love. I love craft beer and I love golf. And I like being outside and I like being active. Mm. So working at a golf course would give me a little bit of purpose that I'm working there and I'm like earning a little bit of money and I know people and I... You know, then I get to play free golf and I'm outside the whole time. And then on the weekend, sometimes I'd work at a brewery and pour beer and talk about beer and meet people and be a beer tender. And I think that's like fun. Like that, that's my that idea. That sounds fun. so awesome. Because I, I couldn't sit on my, my butt and do nothing. Like I, no. It's not, it's not my, my makeup to sit on my butt and do nothing. So I think I would do that. That's what I would do. And I would really like to do that. But in Southern California, you can't, you cannot have a... <laughs> I've got a mortgage and a, and a kid in daycare and a, and a car payment and the whole. Right. That's Life. not going to work. Yeah. Okay. So, well, well, Jordana, thank you so much for, for giving me this time. It's, it's been thank a you. fantastic conversation. And uh, I hope I, the, the, the listeners found this super valuable. I know I did. Me too. How can people connect with you? This is your opportunity to, to kind of. Yeah, link, uh, LinkedIn would be the, the, the place to connect with me personally. The practicelab.co would be the place to check out the program. We're currently accepting applications for our Q3 cohort. And uh, if you've got any questions or just want to say hi, DM me. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks again, Jordana. Let's stay in touch. If this episode is interesting to you, please share your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter. Tag me and I might just feature your post in an upcoming episode of the Sales Career Podcast. Or if you want to connect directly, go to hopconsultinggroup.com and we'll find a way to work together. Cheers.